Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. I am John Ledyard from PewterReport.com. No Scott Reynolds, no Mark Cook with me today, but we do have a very special guest on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while. He is the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. If you know the draft, if you know fantasy football, you know who this man is, the godfather himself, Matt Waldman. Matt Thank you so much for taking some time to come on the show and talk draft prospects with us. John, it's an honor and a privilege. I've just been looking forward to this as well. I mean, we've known each other for a while, and I've been looking forward to getting to chop it up with you for quite some time. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We've got to get your opinion on a lot of different things, most notably probably the wide receiver class, and if there's any wide receivers that could be of interest to the Bucs. But a lot of fans haven't given up hope on the running back position, even with the Giovanni Bernard signing and Leonard Fournette coming back, Ronald Jones, Keyshawn Vaughn still in the fold. So we are going to talk about those guys as well and kind of where you see the day through the mid-late round running backs. Where's the steal in this year's class that the Bucs might be able to find. And we'll talk about the quarterback position a little bit later in the draft. Who are some guys that might be a, a future quarterback type pick for the Bucs? It's going to be a really fun show, and it's all brought to us by our friends over at Celsius. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. I've got my Kiwi Guava again today. I'm telling you, these energy drinks are something else. They got unbelievable flavor, but none of the sugar, nothing, zero sugar. Burn body fat, accelerate metabolism, healthy energy, and they taste unbelievable. I never thought I'd be an energy drink guy. Celsius converted me. They'll convert you too, or they'll take you away from whatever energy drink you're drinking now. Check them out. You can check them out, Celsius.com. Check out the different flavors, buy them, or you can go to Amazon and get the variety pack. That's a good way to find them too, but they are some great stuff. Matt, before we even get started on this, I have to let people know where they can find your rookie scouting portfolio. This thing is a beast. Matt, if people don't know, he's the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which many of you I'm sure have heard of. It's one of the most comprehensive draft guides of skilled players to the public. It's an NFL and fantasy resource that's not only popular among fantasy players, but according to Division I recruiters, it's one of the more popular independent resources that scouts use as a reference for cross-checking. You can find that RSP at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Make sure you check that out and look into that. Wide receivers, Matt. Man, this is a class, isn't it? What's your take just in general? I've heard people talk about this is like better wide receiver class than a year ago. I've heard people say it's not quite as good as, as a year ago where we had a ton of good players last two years, really. What's your take on the class as a whole? Do you love it more than the last couple of years? I think on the whole, like from a broad perspective of saying players who could possibly become at least contributors, if not starters, I think it's deeper than last year. I have 29 players that I ranked 
who probably are one to two major skill sets away where they could make that next step and you could see them on the field on a consistent basis. And that's more than last year or the year before. Um, but at the same time, are we going to really talk about guys making that next step like Jefferson and Brown and the guys in the past two years who did so well? You know, there's some really strong guys at the top, but there's a few more question marks with it. So this is the class that I think I would say is it, it has the most depth and it's very talented, but it's the one that's most likely to make us fools um, because of the fact that there's even guys well down the ranks who in two to three years could be really good at, because they're just late bloomers and learning the game, but they're mega talented as athletes too. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting point that you make there because I think you're onto something and there's, you have these talented guys, but then at the same time, it's like a weird physical class, right? Like, I mean, this is not like a bunch of X receivers or a bunch of big guys. Last year's class had a lot of big, I mean, big receivers, there were speed guys too. There was a little bit of everything, but even the speed guys were built or, th you know, this clears class, there's a lot of smaller receivers, right? What do you make of that? Do you think some of these, I mean, the Elijah Moores, the Rondale Moores, the Amari Rogers, he's a little bit of a thicker slot, but uh, the Tutu Atwells, I mean, you have a lot of these guys that were either slot only in college or project just to the slot in the NFL in your mind, does that devalue the class at all? Or do you see that as where the NFL's heading anyway? I think it just makes it a volatile class because it's it's one of those situations that it depends on how they're going to use somebody. Like to me, I see Elijah Moore as a fantastic prospect. Now, I don't see him playing outside on a regular basis, but I could also see him being kind of this weird meld of Jar Jarvis Landry and Danny Woodhead who you could use in the red zone and get a ton of great work out of him because he's so automatic as a pass catcher and he finds those tight little creep you know nooks and crannies in zone and against linebackers and he can play tight like that where you could get a ton out of him with imaginative offense but at the same time if the offense isn't that imaginative you might just get your standard variety slot receiver who's getting you 600 to 700 yards. Yep. And while that's good for the team, it's not great from the standpoint of the value that he might get. And then I look at a guy like Atwell and like, there's a lot of good slot players, but there's a, you know, can they be used all over the field? And I can see Atwell's value as a contributor, but at the same time, I look at his size and I can't help and I hope that his career is good, but I feel like a stiff wind can blow this guy down. And I'm <laughs> and I'm worried that like if his jersey gets untucked he, and you put a string to him, he might be a fight, you know? I mean, it's like <laughs> you know, that's comp, like, comp for Tutu Atwell is actually a kite, not another player, just a kite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like one of those dragon kites or something you we could joke around about. But I mean, he's he's a fantastic athlete in the open field and you certainly can see that he catches the ball and can make some tough plays, but I have concerns about guys like that. And there's a whole range in between. Yeah, there really is. It's a remarkable class. I want to stick with Elijah Moore just for a second. If we can, the bucks have drafted been a clear desire on Jason lights part to prioritize the wide receiver position. Pretty sure Bruce Arians is down with that. He's always kind of prioritized the wide receiver position. So as long as that process continues for them, I think it's it's reasonable to expect that a wide receiver might get selected in this draft as well. Elijah Moore would be outside of the physical stature of what the Bucs have typically kind of gravitated toward at the wide receiver position, especially Jason Light. Having said that, though, there's something about Elijah Moore's game that makes Bucks fans think of Antonio Brown, who may not be back with the team now. 
Do you see a little bit of that? What did you see? You mentioned liking Elijah Moore. What do you see when you like his game in terms of thinking about his role in the NFL? Well, I can certainly see when you think about Elijah Moore early in his career, or excuse me, Antonio Brown early in his career, you know, as a slot receiver who really could work the middle of the field and give you yards after the catch, great in zone coverage. Certainly you see that with Moore. He's someone that can play and really work those creases in zone and read the field quickly. So you can see how mentally he'd be on the same page with Tom Brady and get there pretty quickly. And that you know that he has the physical attributes you're looking for to win in the open field is appealing. And he can give you some of that contested catch play. I don't think, I think Lane Kiflin, Kiffin is basically advertising and recruiting for people when he says Steve Smith. You know, I think that's just mainly trying to get people to a school, which I understand. <laughs> that's a little bit, yeah, that's a little yeah. much. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. You know, but at the same time, you know, to me, again, if you're looking for a Jarvis Landry type, a guy who maybe can be more imaginative, and when I mentioned Landry and Woodhead, well, those are two guys that would seem to fit with what Tom Brady is looking for with a player, and then you can use him occasionally on the outside because of the outside speed, his willingness to go up and go after the ball. But I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a matchup um, advantage in that yeah. situation. I think really he's the guy you'd probably be targeting third in the progression read if you're putting him outside and they think there's another matchup that they were looking to first. Right. But overall, yeah, I mean, I I understand the appeal even if, but Antonio Brown offers that ball winning mentality mm-hmm. on the outside that I just think you, you can't make that comparison either with more um, right. to that degree. You're right. That's a good, good distinction. I think you, there might be aspects, but that's the hard part with one-to-one comps. It's like, okay, they rarely are players one-to-one. They are unique. And we really in evaluation need to kind of let them be unique in the ways that they're unique. And so that's what I like about what you just said is that it allows Elijah Moore's you know evaluation to breathe. Basically, he is who he is, and there might be some shared characteristics with AB. But AB is who he is on the field for a reason. And, and like you said, it's that at his size to be able to win the ball like he does down the field, it's rare. So the Bucks fans look at this class and they say, okay, if if AB's not back, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bucks don't have a whole lot of holes, Matt. They have been committed oh, yeah. to filling out the roster even before the draft happens. So. If they get to the first round and you get to pick 32, let's say for just discussion's sake, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, obviously probably off the board at that point. If you get to 32, is there a wide receiver? Let's say the Bucs are just – they're going wide receiver. They love the guys on the board. Who do you like at that point? After those the, the big three, the quote-unquote big three, who do you like at the wide receiver position? Well, and then I look at the Bucks roster first and foremost, and I mean, I was always a big Chris Godwin fan, and you know, my everyone knows how good Mike Davis is, and you, Scotty Miller has played very well. So, but we have to think long term. So, at this point, you can't afford to think long term. Someone who can contribute now, maybe play multiple positions for you in terms of the roles, slot or flanker, slot or split end, and you think. Because we might not be able to keep Godwin long-term. We might not be able to keep Mike Evans long-term. We're in a luxury spot here where maybe we don't just strictly look for the fill and upgrade to the slot position if you think you can upgrade Scotty Miller. Um, So if you do that, why not get a player who you can develop? To me, I like Rashad Bateman. Team him back up with Tyler Johnson, I guess, maybe long-term. But Rashad Bateman, to me, is a guy who can play slot. He can play a little bit of flanker. You can probably exist with him at split end if you needed to because he's fast enough um but he's he's a he's a player that last year he had covid and he had it pretty rough so i don't know how much weight he lost but he was listed at 210 
And he was apparently 190 when he played. And at his pro day, I think he was 190. <laughs> yeah. So the fact he's 190 at that point, and maybe even less. And for, so let's say, for like realistic sake, he was 200 when he played. You, you know, and that may even be pushing it. And he was down to 180 or 185. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a guy who still showed great ball tracking. The and what he does so well is work the middle of the field where he can make that la- late split second adjustment when he knows a, a linebacker's dropping or a safety's coming up and he's got trail coverage on him at, that he's beat off the line against press and he can make that one step to where he's still having to adjust to the ball, maybe even a late window where the ball's coming in hot and extend downfield with his arms but still be able to make the late step away from the defender and get downhill and bounce off hits. He's very focused in that way. And you even notice it with route running where he'll break out, you know, say break outside into the flat and have a trail defender, you know, he's separating from, and there'll be a defender in the shallow area who will drop back into the zone and the quarterback didn't see it. And as he's making the break, he'll spot that and make the adjustment instead of running the out that he was set to run, he'll actually curl it back in and undercut the defender. And you don't normally see that from a a college wide receiver to have that late diagnose diagnostic skill to make these adjustments and make your quarterback look good. Mm -hmm. And he does that in addition to the great catch radius. So I'm a big fan of him. I think he's only, he kind of has, you know, if you're going to look at influences of players, Mike Thomas, Keenan Allen are kind of guys, you know, that you can see a little bit of that in his game. And then as a runner, he could be the best runner in the, uh, you know, on the bucks after the catch, if you yeah. put him in that, in that um, aspect of paint, playing the slaughter flanker. And then I like Terrace Marshall. I, I just think that, you know, he has some room for growth, um, but he can give you inside outside work. I think he plays very well inside right now and shows the footwork in terms of the double ups and the three, the quick threes and the quick two type of footwork that can mm-hmm. get him, um, separation he understands how to bait defenders downfield when he plays outside on the rail so that he can be physical with them and kind of maintain his bubble against them without pushing off but at the same time he can also kind of turn his head early make the defender turn around and then just run by him and if they catch up and grab he'll make the contested play and he makes them high and low so i'm a fan because also when he takes hard contact or he's he drop makes a mistake early he doesn't let it get into his head so those are two guys that, for me, fit the rent. And then I'll even say maybe a little bit later who'll be available round two, round three, maybe a little later than that, is Tylen Wallace. I like Tylen Wallace. I think he's, you know, he goes up and wins the ball before his ACL injury. He was one of the three or four fastest guys mm-hmm. at the position. And he he didn't look great last year because he was still coming back from that. He was wearing a brace. Didn't look like he was as confident in his breaks, as confident in really slamming down that leg and, mm-hmm. and doing it right. But I'll say this, if if there was a reason to be solely unconfident in that leg, it was when he got hurt just before the bowl game and took a, right. a shot to that knee and was playing hurt um, at, on the knee that he tore the ACL on and played the bowl game. And and yeah. then comes back for his pro day and lights up his pro day. And of course, you know, the pro day, we can wonder about some of that. But, you know, at the same time, I think he, he performed impressively enough that we can look at him and think that he's going to regain that confidence and be the monster he was early in his career. 
Right. The Bucks have been so interesting a wide receiver because they've really prioritized size, especially early on in the draft. I don't think they've taken a receiver under 206 pounds under Jason Light early in the draft, at least. You know, and that's only a couple guys. Obviously, we're talking small sample sizes, but we try to draw conclusions about like who they're in on. You know, what kind of what's the physical prototype that they like at receiver? But they also love speed, and so some of those guys. You know, you mentioned. Uh, Terrace Wall, uh, Terrace Marshall. I mean, exactly what the Bucks look for at the receiver position, really, in terms of physical and athletic prototype. Tape, I think you could, like, like you said, there's room to grow, and like that's where you have to get with Marshall, right? Because played inside this past season, you played outside a year ago. Touchdowns everywhere you look. I mean, 23 touchdowns over the last two. That is ceiling is still kind of coming for the NFL. He still can keep getting better, and the NFL is always kind of into those types of players. I think. So with Marshall, you have the speed, you have the size, you have the weight, you have everything that the Bucs really look for, the leaping ability, the athletic testing was terrific. He's such a fascinating player to me. I watch the tape, I think, man, I would like this guy to do some things better than he does, but when you talk about winning down the field, that's where the NFL game is, and he's a guy that I think could be there at 32 maybe, Matt. Yeah, I absolutely think he can too. And and then when you start looking at players who are a little bit bigger than him, you know, you could talk about the Cornell Powells and the Nico Collins and the Josh Palmers who are, to me, kind of in that H- Hakeem Nicks type of camp where you can isolate them one-on-one off play action and they can win deep in that range. But they're more intermediate to options and and they're not necessarily the guys you're going to want to put in the slot or play right away. And I don't think the upside is as strong as maybe some later guys that you might be able to get like after the fourth round, who are really compelling. I mean, you've got Marshall's teammate, Racy McMath, who I, I think is a compelling guy, maybe late, who has the has the athletic skills you're looking yeah. for, and it seems like he was coming on. I'm a Jacob Harris fan. I watched him at UCF, and when you watch his tape, if you're just a fan watching his tape, it's easy to go, well, he doesn't look like much of an athlete because he seems slow, but he seems to be like making plays downfield. But when you watch him in intermediate routes, he just looks sluggish. You got to remember he was a soccer player learning how to play the game and he's overthinking right now. Everything's got the processor is slowing him down, but then you'll see plays as his game goes along where you're like, wow, that's an NFL athlete. That's an NFL athlete at the receiver position. And he blew away his pro day. And the one thing that he always does well is track and catch the football. So this is a guy in two or three years that you may not have to play right away, but you can develop and he might give you a an outside threat that's much better than you expected at 6'5", 211 and with his pro day numbers. I'm a big Jalen Camp fan as a late guy who you look at at 6'2", 226 with a 4'4", 3'40", 4'1", 6'20", shuttle, 7'02", three-cone drill, and 40-inch vertical leap. Oh, yeah, and he lifted the bar 30 times, which is ridiculous. And when you watch, and the thing that I like about him isn't all that because that's that's just great. But the, the great thing about him is he really has terrific ball tracking skill. There are enough plays on his tape, which there's, there's a small sample in terms of when you look at his whole career because he played in the triple option offense at Georgia Tech. And, you know, last year was the first time they didn't do that. And the coach brought him pretty much out front and said, hey, um, you know, the media, this is a guy you're going to need to get to know this year that you haven't learned much about because we didn't throw the ball. Um, mm-hmm. But when you see him track the ball, he can track it over either shoulder, over his head. He can switch while doing so, running with his back to the quarterback. And he makes some of the most outstanding catches that I've seen in terms of just contested plays. 
in a in a small sample. So the biggest issue is he has all the athletic ability to be a route runner. He just has to figure he has to learn that. Um, so right. overall, he's interesting. But those are some guys you might be able to look at a little bit later who you know might give you a little bit more pop at a lower investment choice. Um, if you're just looking for you know looking for that long term. Right, exactly. Now it's it's uh, th- I love some of the names that you're throwing out because they're later round guys. They're guys that, and that might be where the Bucks ultimately go. We don't know. I mean, there's like we've always say, there's a long air with the Bucks right now in terms of the draft because they could go so many different directions in the first round. And it wouldn't really shock us. Um, so it could be a first round guy because you know, long term, we, we don't. I mean, Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller both promising, but if Chris Godwin you know, weren't to be here next year after playing in the tag, Mike Evans obviously will be around long term, but. You know, it's one of those things where you don't know. I mean, they could easily wide receiver could be a big need if Chris Godwin isn't going to return. I think he will, but I, I you know, I think that down the road that's something that they could be planning for when they draft. But more than likely, they're addressing the lines in the depth of the lines with the early pick, and so mid rounds, late rounds, those that could be the spot that some of these guys show up. Jacob Harris, you know, or Jalen Camp, somebody like that. What is your thoughts on Jalen Darden? Uh, I see some people actually in the comments uh, already. Uh, in the NFL, maybe that uh, that he can get to, and that Jalen Darden can get to in the NFL, that kind of ascends him to being a higher. I mean, if he's a day three pick, he might be able to eventually play at like a day two level and produce it that way. Just curious what you've seen from Jalen Darden's game as you watch him on tape. Yeah, I liked Jalen Darden, and I think that he's someone that absolutely has the potential to be a a frequent contributor in eleven personnel, twelve, um, ten personnel sets. Um, and multiple options where they spread the field. He's he's someone that has extreme confidence in his quickness in the way that as soon as he catches the ball, he'll bait defenders within a step of him, and he's gone. And he has no problem running in tight traffic. So you can use him on RPOs early, wide receiver screens early. Crossing routes obviously would be very nice for him. Um, and you can use him in the vertical game especially from the slot right now where he has two-way goes to be able to get up down the field. Um, And he adjusts extremely well to the ball. He'll take contact to his back. He'll occasionally even take contact where he's sandwiched and win win the ball. So corner routes could be very nice for him in terms of being able to to win that way early on. Um, I think that he has some focus issues when he sees flashes of bodies around him. It's not that he's scared to catch the ball. Like I said, he'll take contact. It's just that when he sees it coming, sometimes he loses that concentration and his head lingers a little bit too long when he's when he's tracking the football in that regard. And you just have to see more proof of what he can do against press coverage if you want to have him play a little bit outside because he's not he didn't see a lot of that at North Texas. Um, but he's a guy that has all the quickness in the world and the footwork to do it. Um, I like him overall. I think that he's someone that will make a contribution and can be a big play option. And he kind of gives you the potential to give competition to Scott Miller and keep that competition really high and they'll learn from each other and and make each other better. Hopefully. Right. Exactly. And apologize to people for the connection. It is Spectrum doing their thing, and we know how frustrating it's been lately in this area. And apologize to Matt too. We'll try to try to truck through as much as we can. It is maddening that it goes all day like this, and then just as we start a show, it ends up being like this. But uh, just the way it goes sometimes. Let's deviate to the running back position a little bit because I do want to touch on some of these guys before we have to wrap up. Kenneth Gainwell is kind of a receiver, kind of a running back. 
Bucks fans have their eye on him maybe as a weapon, another guy who could be a player for them down the road. What are your thoughts on Gainwell from what you've seen in scouting him? I wanted to love Kenneth Gainwell, and I only am lukewarm on him now. And it's and mainly I think it is that when you see a player who takes a year off, and that's fine. I don't have any real major concerns about that. But you're you're already like 190 pounds, and we're talking about a guy who you want to see at least as a a frequent contributor, if not possibly a lead back down the line. And he only gained four pounds. And and with that four pound gain, you didn't see any added twitch in terms of you know quick twitch type of muscle fiber. You'd seen that happen. I didn't see there's there's something with that burst change of direction that just isn't quite as fast as as I think people realize. And when you look at that pro day, it was kind of disappointing. Um, and so when I see that, I'm I'm much bigger when it comes to backs that I don't care about forty time nearly as much as I care about short area quickness and initial acceleration and i'm worried about that with him he's a smart back boy can he catch and and he definitely he gives you some of that vibe of he can play outside and maybe even develop a little bit along those lines if you needed to use him in a certain areas there but i i I like the player conceptually it's one of the rare cases where i'm not a fan of him physically and i am probably known in the community being a little more lenient when it comes to metrics about a player and this was a guy that just didn't really fit that for me as a potential starter that you're going to look at in the early rounds or even the mid rounds. He's more of a later round guy for me now. Okay. Yeah, no, that's good to know. I think good to hear. We've, we've kind of bantered around about him a little bit as a potential Bucks target, but now with Giovanni Bernard, especially coming on board, it's like, where does he fit? And, you know, is he the type of player they grab or not? And it might be a, a later round thing uh, for him, at least. Michael Carter from UNC is another name that's been, I mean, a lot of Bucks fans have kind of wondered about him, even if Javante Williams in, in the first, or I don't think he gets to the Bucks pick in the second round, even if he's not an option. Michael Carter, what? how do you see his game? And I mean, UNC obviously used him in the passing game, used him in pass pro, seems pretty pro ready. There might not be a great ceiling. Just curious what you think of his game when you studied him on tape. I love Michael Carter. Me too. I think, <laughs> I think my, I, honestly, we'll put it to you this way. Um, not only did he, uh, I, I compare players on spectrums because I think they're like you so astutely noted. It's they're an influence of a number of players, and they express it in their own way. And so, but if there's guys that he obviously is influenced by, Giovanni Bernard is one of them. He's he's certainly he's a good pass protector. He has that that quickness, the ability to play between the tackles well. He understands space space in terms of how he uses his feet to avoid um, pr- um, players, but he's also got some pop for his size. Now that doesn't mean you're going to run him 18 to 20 times a game, mm-hmm. though I think you could for stretches of weeks if you really needed to, but he he has enough pop to be able to break tackles that I didn't see Clyde Edwards Hilaire have in in the box. In fact, if I were if someone said to me, "Who would you rather have on the Chiefs right now?" I'd say Michael Carter over Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and I like Hilaire, yeah. but I like Michael Carter's ability in the middle of the field as a pass receiver. He has a really good feel for not only those outside flat routes, but he can break in the middle and understand to find where to find that second window for his quarterback and communicate that non-verbally so that his quarterback is going to find him. And I think that, you know, the other player that came to mind to me was James White, just a more athletic, mm-hmm. a more dynamic runner than James White was, who was just kind of did everything well at Wisconsin, but nothing really unbelievably special. 
I, I think if, if the Bucks got Michael Carter, you could probably consolidate your running back room a fair bit. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Keyshawn Vaughn might end up expendable. Certainly CJ Procise, who's very athletic and a good pass catcher, but just can't stay healthy, would stay, it would be expendable. Um, Ronald Jones might end up expendable at some point down the line, as good of a tackle breaker as he is. And I really admire how he improved his game. But, it, you know, Carter gives you that, that, type of thing where even with Giovanni Bernard is like a bridge for one year you know he could learn a ton from his fellow alum in terms of he's a good pass protector now but he could learn even more from a guy like that and it's kind of like you get the template you get Mm -hmm. the mentor in that realm so yeah it's great great player yeah, that's fun. No, I've I've been singing Michael Carter's praises. I showed it was a couple months ago, but I showed a clip of Michael Carter against NC State, kind of winning on a vertical route out of the backfield, going up, getting the football, and it was like I don't think you've seen this from a running back before, Bucks fans. Like this guy <laughs> offers a, a little something different than a Leonard Fournette or a Rojo, but he is a good player. I do think there's some similarities to Giovanni Bernard's game too that make it funny because they're from the the same school, obviously. Um, so he's one that we'll have our eye on for sure. How about just mid to late round running backs? Let's just open it up. Mid to late round running backs that you like. Who 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 piques your interest? Well, first of all, my top back, and I and this has been kind of a funny thing, but he might drop to the third or fourth round. And that's Trey Sermon. I'm a huge mm. Trey Sermon fan. I think he's the, I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just he's so efficient. He's got great efficiency with his footwork. He's someone that understands that you don't have to use the dynamic jump cut all the time. You know, he has he has that ability to move so efficiently and work around defenders at a high rate of speed. He he is also powerful enough to break tackles. He could also be a consolidator in terms of for a backfield because he might turn out. And I've heard scouts say this, you know, that he he could turn out to be one of the best backs in this class. It's just he didn't have the production and the injury free history and the 40 time that oftentimes goes with first round guys when you're looking at that risk management of what's going to make us look good or bad if we miss because you don't you know that's that's that whole thing i joke is about it is the brian westbrook litmus test that mm-hmm. brian westbrook didn't have those things gil brant mentioned it but said he'd be a top five player if he had these things that fit on the resume bullet points and you'd look more like a fool failing on brian westbrook in the first round after you find out he tore two acls lost his scholarship due to that at florida mm-hmm. state and was undersized and all and not didn't have top 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 end speed compared to a guy like darren mcfadden who had all the things you're looking for from the bullet point standpoint, but needed a compass to figure out where to run, you know, in his own scheme. So, you know, when you look at guys like that, I like I like Khalil Herbert, who is a player at also at five nine two ten. I kind of joke he's the Davon, Dalvin Cook starter kit in terms of the way he plays the game, the size. You know, he's got the speed. He can has some after contact skill. He has more dynamic cutting ability than cook but he also has that what they call the curvy linear movement to kind of bend around defenders at a high rate of speed without having to slow your feet down um and then probably one of the guys that i just kind of i think he got lost because he ended up in mike leach's system and and kj costello didn't have a good year kylan hill may have not been a first or second round pick even if he had a great year but kylan hill might go in the fifth or sixth round and you're going this is like a third or fourth round value of a talent who can do everything well he can really catch and he runs Mm -hmm. good routes like he understands how to set up linebackers and safeties 
Um, you know, he knows how to, you know, to to basically stair step routes in the intermediate game, which you usually see wide receivers do well. He does that well. Quick, agile, a little more speed than you would expect. I mean, you know, four five one isn't anything to sneeze at. There's wide receivers who Marvin Marvin Jones is slower than that, and he's made a career of being an excellent deep threat at wide receiver. Right. So you look at a guy like Kylan Hill, and he could be. He could be that guy that you look down the line and say, "Wow, we can roll with him as our as our starter when when it's time to to move on from these other guys with their contracts." Right, that's the tricky part for the Bucks because it's like eh, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself with the running back position because you want to get the whole lifespan of that first contract typically. But you have Leonard Fournette, you have Ronald Jones, and you have Giovanni Barnard all in last years of their contracts or only years of their contracts, and so it's. It's a barren running back room really for next year other than, than Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah. I want to switch gears quickly before we move to quarterbacks because, I, by the way, you brought up some great points on a couple guys. Trey Sermon, really like him. Liked him for years. Was confused about why there was no production early on. Then he blew it up at Ohio State like late in the season. I was like, this is this is the guy I remember. Like, I, I don't – you know, we, we like lost him for a chunk there in between. But uh, really good player. I really like him. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that, I mean, even in Oklahoma – the way I scout's probably a little different than I think a lot of folks do. And I, and I understand why, you know, I, I have the privilege that I don't have to follow the NFL draft in the way of going, this is what round this guy's going to go in and I don't have to do mock drafts. So as a result of that, um, you know, I don't follow a lot of the narratives. And then I also am not looking at where are the GMs looking at these guys in terms of what round. And so when I look at a player and I isolate his skills, even if he gets, a small number, smaller number of touches, or he's splitting time with some great backs. Kennedy Brooks, we're going to be talking about this time next year, who mm-hmm. came out of Oklahoma. Ramondre Stevenson deserves to be mentioned and could be really an interesting fit for the Bucks as well. Um, yeah. You know, as a guy that because his pass protection and his receiving skills are fantastic, and he has the kind of feet that Legarrette Blunt had in terms of quick feet um, and the ability to kind of smoothly get through, and might have more upside physically in terms of his speed. But when you look at, you know, Sermon, he's played with so many different guys who are, who are good players. But what you see is he just understands the game. He just Mm -hmm. processes it very fast. And it's that efficiency thing. Like the best way I would recommend it is if you you're new to my work and you've never checked out my site, I would say there's a, an article I wrote called what would Frank Gore do? And it's and it's essentially a contrast of two plays from last year. Old man Frank Gore um, running a play that's very similar to what Anthony McFarlane ran for the Steelers. And I know you're a Steelers fan. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point uh, back in the day, I have to that's think. Right. You know, growing up there. So you know, um, everyone I like is Steelers fans. I don't know what that's all about as a Browns <laughs> fan, but uh, but uh, but the uh, it, you know, you look at this play and there's a play where Anthony McFarland does what a lot of dynamic backs do with great jump cuts is that they see a flash of a body and they're, they, as they're reading the field and they overreact with this large dynamic jump cut that takes them well outside of where they should have gone on track or too far inside downfield. And they either running into the back of their own blocker or too close to the penetrating defender. Kenyon Drake is an example of a guy who did that a lot early on. Even LaShawn McCoy did that early in his career a lot. Um, and, and late sometimes. And Just, late sometimes. You never knew when it was coming with Shady. <laughs> True. Exactly. But I mean, a lot of good players have done it. But the thing is, is, you know, uh, even I have another play with Marlon Mack doing this early in his career. And then, sure enough, Frank Gore was on that same team. And you watch Frank Gore run the same play, 
And I watched Frank Gore do that in both of these instances. And you see him understand that he needs to get back on track as fast as possible. Yes, I see this flash of a body coming at me. Let me avoid it and make sure that I'm bouncing right back downhill and getting there as fast as possible and using my feet in a way where I'm not over committing my body in a way that I can't decelerate and get back downhill. And a guy like Trey Sermon already gets that. And because he can run for power and, and, you know, I'm doing some tackle breaking metrics with the RSP where I'm looking at, you know, wraps, reaches and hits and the type of players that are delivering that, whether it's defensive tackles, linebackers or defensive backs. Cause as much as we love Saquon Barkley, I get tired of the, Oh, he ha- he's great at yards after contact or, Clyde Edwards Hilaire more of uh, app. He's great after contact because a defensive tackle slapped his thigh pad after he missed him on, you know, on the way through a hole and he gets like 15 mm-hmm. yards of credit. Whereas, you know, Nick Chubb gets hit by a, a defensive tackle oh. and drags two linebackers and gets seven yards and six of those he earned the hard way. And right. you can, you know, great elusiveness is important, but if you're going to judge it by power, don't cloud the picture with elusiveness. And that's oh, kind of yeah. what I'm looking at. And Trey Sermon scores high marks. Like he and Javante Williams are very high in that department. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Javante for sure. And I and Sermon for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I you're spot on, by the way, about yards after contact type of metrics that I see from some of these websites. Love the work and appreciate the effort that goes into it. But when the Bucks have two of the highest ranked running backs in terms of yards after contact, and I know because I've watched the tape that that contact is them running into their own guys before they get restarted again, <laughs> I know that that's not the metric I need to be looking at to determine who can really break tackles. So good points there. I got to ask a little bit about – oh, we actually have a question uh, from Kay Snyder wants to know, any thoughts about Jarrett Patterson as a fifth or sixth round pick? God, I wanted to love – Patterson I really did um because you could see elements of his game he's a very smart runner he has terrific hips the ability to change direction well he he catches the ball well you can see that he has um some acceleration and speed that's enough that it's enough for him to contribute in the NFL maybe even start for a period if you needed him to except that again at 57195 is he really going to do that? I was hoping he was more like 205 to begin the year and showed up at that D'Angelo Williams weight of 210, 215. And then I'd be like, we're in business. Now we've got a D'Angelo Williams type of prospect in terms of like potential of where he could ascend to. But I see a player with kind of the D'Angelo Williams type of mindset and conceptual skills of the game, but not the physical size and um, athletic skill that Williams had. So you're looking at more of like a third down back or a guy like Tariq Cohen, who like we all really like Tariq Cohen's skills, but coaches don't necessarily figure out a way how they can maximize that. And he's not as dynamic as Cohen is, you know, so He's, I think he's a good third down back or a good change of pace player. A football team will really like him, but fans, a lot of fans may never hear of him if they don't watch college football and may have never, they may never recognize him as being a, a, a really quality player in the league. Yeah, that's yeah, basically my thoughts about him as well, but uh, very well said. And I, I, I want to ask you about a but current player on the Bucks before we switch gears to quarterback to wrap things up. Keyshawn Vaughn, there's a lot of Bucks fans that they saw him draft in the third round. They didn't think he'd go in the third round. There was kind of some hope that in that running back room, because going into last season, I mean, they added Shady late, they added Leonard Fournette late, but even then it was kind of like, 
how good is this running back room going to be? You know, I don't know where the talent really is in this group. And then you've got Keyshawn Vaughn coming into the fold, not the player that many of us expected to be on the Bucs. Last year's first three rounds didn't go as many expected, but it turned out well for the first two picks. But then in, with Keyshawn Vaughn, it was kind of like got onto the field a little bit. I think he had like 11 targets. He had like three or four drops. He fumbled twice in a couple carries. I mean, he just – it was not a very encouraging early start. We've said that and said the Bucs can't trust him going into next season. Fans of, A lot of fans have held out hopes. I'm just curious what your thoughts were about uh, Keyshawn Vaughn when he was coming out of Vanderbilt and whether you thought the Bucs reached for him in the third round and what you think his NFL ceiling could be. Sure. You know, I had Keyshawn Vaughn rated 14th on my running back board, um, and he was – but his score was a borderline um, situational starter. You know, a guy – he was – he was a guy that I had as a contributor, uh, you know, someone that could play in situational packages like a starter when he's on the field and could develop into possibly more if he addresses aspects of his game. I, I liked his intelligence. Um, I thought he was a good pass protector who could develop, you know, at least had the skills to develop into being a good pass protector. Um, and I and you could see some of the receiving skills. So the fact that he didn't perform well early on tells me a couple things. One is that it's possible that with kind of all the upheaval with COVID and his rookie year and kind of the upheaval in the running back room itself. Um, I mean, you had McCoy in there, you had Fournette come in he probably didn't know what was happening from one week to the next with this. So from a standpoint for a rookie, his head was probably swimming and not knowing what to expect to get in there. And while the best players are the guys who just keep it focused and can do that through all the distraction Maybe he needed a year, you know, to be able to get that locked in. And so I would want to give him another chance to get it locked in. They just brought buffers in just in case he doesn't. And a reminder that's like, all right, I'm sure Bruce Arians is thinking, probably told him, it's like, okay, look, we still value you. These guys right. are all in one year deals. There's a reason they're on one year deals. This is your opportunity to prove that we can just ship these guys off when it's, when it's time. You just got to lock it in and do it. And so yeah. I think that's the onus on him. If he locks in and does it, he can be a major contributor for the Bucks. Right. He is so different than, I mean, Ronald Jones struggled mightily as a rookie in Tampa Bay, obviously, but Keyshawn Vaughn is such a different than Rojo. Rojo, you wondered, is the confidence there after his first year? And then he's kind of slowly found it, but his coaches have been open. It's still an issue. Like he, it comes and goes from game to game. And you could see it as a receiver. You could see it in his body language at times. Vaughn comes off as fully confident that yes. he is the guy. Like he comes off that way. You love the demeanor and the like edge that he kind of has. He's not like a quote unquote nice guy. Like, you know, that's not his demeanor, in my opinion. No. But it hasn't come out on the field yet. I I I'm similar to you. I, I thought Vanderbilt was okay, but I would not have ever seen him as a third round pick. I would not have seen him as a guy that could be your feature guy at some point. And if I'm taking him back in the first three rounds. I want that kind of ceiling. So we'll see what, what's to come with him. Uh, obviously, he does have some time, and he'll have some space to be able to grow as a player and as a person this season in, in Tampa Bay with the other guys that they've added. Before we let you go, Matt, i got to get quarterback thoughts from you. Let's go day two first. Bucks. let's say they're not taking a quarterback in the first round. Let's say Davis Mills does not get into the first round uh, and the Bucks pass. In the but if we get into the second and third rounds of the draft and the Bucks are looking – at the board and saying, all right, we would like to, you know, have a quarterback here, you know, that we could develop. We don't actually, we only have Tom Brady on the roster right now, assuming Blaine Gabbert will be back in the fold at some point. Although he's 
holding out uh, longer than we expected to resign. Um, and so if he's back in the fold, they might be looking for a QB3 that could eventually have a chance to be QB1. Obviously, the likelihood we know that it wouldn't be great with the pick after the first round. But who do you see? I mean, maybe – I mean, after the top tiers, I guess I'm assuming that you have the same top five everybody else does, which very well may not be true. I know you'll you'll go right outside the box willingly. So who do you <laughs> like, I guess, outside of those top five? Well, you mentioned Davis Mills. You know, mm-hmm. and I that would be the guy. Like okay. to me, I haven't ranked above Zach Wilson. I'll just put it to you that way. Wow. Like I have Zach Wilson sixth on my board, and I okay. just Mark Schofield and I just did a film room on him today, and it just came out just before this podcast, um, where we spent about an hour on his tape. And I see Zach Wilson as a potential starter. I mm-hmm. see that, but I just think there's he's to me valuing him second overall, or even as one of the top three to five quarterbacks. I'm not there. I think there are some glaring things with him that some may see as nitpicking, but I don't think it's there. When I look at Davis Mills, I think he's more of a blank slate um, and in a way that's positive. Like I think he he makes some good leverage reads. There's some advanced leverage reads that he needs to get better at, but that's not something that you look at as a fatal flaw. He has a good, decent play-action game. He has decent athletic ability to at least maneuver the pocket. He's tough. He's willing to take some punishment, as we've seen in that UCLA game um, You know that everyone's talked about. And I think that there's there's ability there in terms of just overall, you know, accurate, fundament, fundamentally sound throwing technique. Um, I think he's, you know, there's no major flaws there. So if we're talking about, you know, quarterbacks from that standpoint, he'd be perfect in a room with Tom Brady. He'd be perfect in a room with Blaine Gabbert, who's been through yeah. the ringer and can kind of be and is smart enough to say, Hey, here's some pitfalls to avoid. You know, sometimes you need the guy who's had the perfect career and the guy who's had the completely imperfect career and survived. You could gain a lot from a quarterback room like that um, in terms of perspective about what to do, what not to do. You might learn from more from Blaine Gabbert in terms of what he tells you as opposed and while what and then learn more from Tom Brady from Washington. just watching what Tom does you know cuz i was hoping i'm not a falcons fan but i live here in the atlanta area and because i cover them a lot i would i would love to see davis mills behind matt Schaub or you know behind matt Schaub and matt ryan or between those two guys and get the same kind of or a similar kind of um perspective especially with a guy as classy as matt ryan and how what he can learn over a year or two and he'd be he'd be he has the arm enough that if Bruce Arians and and um you know you're often Byron Leftwich I, I who I loved in college but uh Byron Leftwich you know if they want to go deep again more often you know I think Mills has enough of an arm to do that too so yeah that's good you're yeah. you're with Dane Brugler on that one we had Dane on the show it was the last week or a week before I can't remember but he he's with you on Davis Mills he really he does like Davis Mills he thinks I watched a couple games there's definitely things like the UCLA game. He was not necessarily his best the whole way through, but he also made like his high points in that game were really, really good. And he came back at the end when they were they were throwing a lot of stuff at him. And he came back and he battled and finished with some great throws, uh, especially in the red area. So there's definite potential there. And he started so little that it's hard to put a cap on him. He is this athleticism that he never used too. So it's like, oh man. Yeah. That's he like, could use that. Yeah. I mean, think of a stat. There's another Stanford guy way back in the day who basically got the snot knocked out of him by Adrian Wilson and was never the same quarterback, but that was um, Trent Edwards, who with the Bills had some promising games, took Tom Brady to the wire on a Monday night football game where 
I watched him at Stanford where literally his linemen were arguing with each other while he was getting sacked in a UCLA game when Pete Carroll was there and they were stacked. And he was a tough dude who you could see for quarterback, you have to have that emotional mental toughness and that ability to learn during the game. And so when I see players like Mills do that and show that they're not going to back down, that they're going to keep plugging along, they're going to not let mistakes get into their head, and you see overall in their tape a pretty clean slate, then that's a guy that I'm like, yeah, that's someone I want in the mid-rounds. I'll, I'll take a chance on them and think that I might have a development plan for him. Right. No, I love that, and I think that you're right. I could see Mills being somebody that the Bucks liked, honestly, just given what their proclivities are at the position. I could see that happening. The tricky thing for the Bucks is they don't even know if Arian – I mean, who knows if Arians will even be the coach or Leftwich will be the coordinator after Brady. So then – it's like, man, I'm real. It's a real dart throw at that point. Like, you really have no clue, kind of what you're trying to even focus on at quarterback, really, in terms of traits. And you want that guy, whoever that is, that coach or coordinator, to have a say in who you're drafting at the most important position in the game. So, might be here to just pass it up for the Bucks. We'll see. Do want to let people know before we get out of here today that Locker Room is a social audio app that is changing the way we talk about sports. It's the only place for live audio conversations about the takes, rumors, news, and teams you care about. React to sports news as it happens. Gather all your friends and watch parties for the biggest games and rep your favorite teams and your community. Better Sports Talk is just a tap away. Download on the Apple App Store and join the conversation. Locker Room, I'm telling you, it's been a great for Peter Report. If you know it and you've used it and there are people in the chat I know that have and listen to the show that have, got to check it out. Locker Room is a tremendous resource. It's awesome to get on there. you got a lot of smart people on there talking football, and you can get on and give your opinions on the social audio uh, format as well. So it's really fun stuff. Encourage everybody, if you have the ability, download the app, follow Peter Report, get involved with what we're doing. It's really, really good stuff. Matt, I want to remind people, go to mattwaltmanrsp.com and download the rookie scouting portfolio. If you play Dynasty, fantasy football, if you just want to know more about the NFL draft and the prospects, go check out this work. Matt, we really appreciate you taking the time today, man. I know it's a busy time of year, uh, and uh, I'm sorry that the connection wasn't all flawless throughout the show, but appreciate you taking the time. We'll definitely have to do it again sometime soon. Hey, it's my pleasure. And, you know, we're a couple of pros. We handled it like it was no big deal. So it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We'll be back next week on the show. We've got more great guests lined up for you and lots of draft talk as well. We're just two weeks out today from the NFL draft. It's that close, ladies and gentlemen, until this Bucs team can get just a little bit better. So as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in, everybody tuning in and listening to the show and uh, listening to another great edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out.